0: For the scripture reading this morning, we turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. I think it's very encouraging as we look to the year ahead uh, to dwell on who God is as our refuge and strength. This is kind of a theme that we could take with us as we go throughout the year before us, whatever circumstances God may lead us through, that God is our refuge and strength. We're going to, The text is going to be the whole psalm, and we're going to work through this psalm together, so it will be profitable to keep our Bibles open to this psalm as we sit under the preaching. Psalm 46. To the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. And that could mean uh, perhaps a particular tune, that Alamoth is a particular tune that is to be used or I think maybe more likely that it refers to singing in a high pitch. Um, And that's what we'll actually do at the end of the service when we sing Psalter number 128. We're going to sing this Psalter number in a high pitch, Uh, a pitch of victory. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is is in the midst of her she shall not be moved god shall help her and that right early the heathen raged the kingdoms were moved he uttered his voice the earth melted the lord of hosts is with us the god of jacob is our refuge selah come behold The works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. THE LORD OF HOSTS IS WITH US, THE GOD OF JACOB IS OUR REFUGE, Selah. BELOVED CONGREGATION OF OUR LORD JESUS CHRIST, BY WAY OF INTRODUCTION, I WANT TO POINT YOUR ATTENTION TO THREE THINGS ABOUT THIS PSALM. FIRST OF ALL, NOTICE THAT THIS IS A PSALM OOZING WITH CONFIDENCE. There really is no lull in the entire psalm. From beginning to end, it is full of confidence. And again, I would say that's what makes this psalm a fitting psalm to meditate on at the beginning of another year. Whatever our circumstances, we have reason for confidence. Second of all, notice the way that the psalm is organized and the progression and the development that takes place in the psalm. Maybe you notice that in the reading, but the psalm is divided into three main stanzas. It's a song divided into three main stanzas which are each clearly signaled or clearly set apart by the word "sela" at the end of each stanza. So the first stanza is verses 1 through 3, the second stanza is verses 4 through 7, and the third stanza is verses 8 through 11. And if you look at the three stanzas carefully you'll notice that there is a development from stanza to stanza. And that's really how we're going to approach the psalm this morning. The first stanza focuses on how God's people are confident in God as they anticipate the battle approaching. The second stanza focuses on how God's people experience great care, the care of God, during the battle. And then the third stanza focuses on how God's people are rejoicing in God after the battle is over. We'll see that as we work through the three points of the sermon this morning. And then third of all, by way of introduction, I want to speak about when the psalm was written. And notice that the psalm doesn't give us specific details on when the psalm was written. And so some will say that this psalm was written during the days of King David, and that this could be a a psalm of David. Many others will say that this psalm really fits well with what happened during the days of King Jehoshaphat. In 2 Chronicles 20, where you read of three enemy nations who are combining their forces and they're gathering together against the city of Jerusalem and were about to attack it. And then the Lord gives his people a very sudden and unexpected deliverance from the enemy. And still others will say that this psalm fits very well with what happened during the days of King Hezekiah. When King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria marched with his huge army against the city of Jerusalem and was ready to destroy the entire city until the Lord at that time also gave his people a very sudden and miraculous deliverance from the enemy. We can't be sure when the psalm was written, but for my part, I think it fits very well with what happened during the days of King Hezekiah. And so that's the history that I'm going to interact with as we work through this psalm together. And I think using that history as we walk through the psalm is going to help us understand the psalm and then also apply it to ourselves and our situations as we look ahead to the year that lies before us. We take as our theme, God, our refuge and strength. When we look at that theme under three points, first, confessing this, anticipating the battle, verses 1 through 3, experiencing this in the heat of the battle, verses 4 through 7, and then exalting in this after the battle, verses 8 through 11. As we begin looking at this psalm, we need to make sure we appreciate the context in which the psalm was written. And that is, we need to see that this psalm was written out of a situation in which God's people were in very great trouble. They were in trouble. Now to see that, you need to get out of the first stanza and you need to dabble in the other stanzas of the psalm. For example, notice, first of all, verse 6. The heathen raged... The kingdoms were moved. What the psalmist is describing in verse 6 is this. The word heathen is the word goyim. It's the word for nations. It's a reference here to the hordes of the ungodly. The heathen nations that are around Israel. The people who do not call on the name of the Lord. The word raged is a word that means to roar. To roar like a lion. to, To growl or to become boisterous. The heathen raged. That is, the nations were in a furious uproar. The nations gathered around the city of the Lord like wolves ravenous for the prey. They foamed and they roared and they swelled against the city like a tempestuous sea. Then we read in verse 6, He uttered His voice, or or, uh, the kingdoms were moved. And the word kingdoms there refers to a political entity. It refers to different countries. We read the kingdoms were moved. And the word "move" literally has the idea of to shake or to totter. And so the idea is kings and armies raged against God and against God's people. And as a result of that raging, entire countries were shaken and uprooted and destroyed. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. Quote, A general confusion seized upon society. The fierce invaders convulsed their own dominions... By draining the population to urge on the war, and they desolated other countries by their devastating march to Jerusalem. End quote. And that's what happens in warfare, isn't it? One nation rises up against another nation, and what happens? Entire populations are shaken and convulsed and uprooted, even by just one leader's desire for warfare. That's verse 6. Then notice verse 9. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Now obviously what that verse is telling us is that there was a great enemy that had marched against the city of Jerusalem. A great army with archers and swordsmen, spearmen and charioteers. A great, great army had marched against the city. And then if you go back to verses 4 and 5, you see something more. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make it glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. And I point out those two verses because what those two verses are telling us is that God's people had fled to the city of Jerusalem for refuge. The enemy had begun marching against the city and the people living in the countryside in their villages and their towns and their farms had fled those farms and those towns and had huddled themselves together behind the walls of Jerusalem. And there they were huddled together within the fortifications of Jerusalem. So in verses 4 and 5, Jerusalem is being pictured as a besieged city. And the point of all of this, pointing this out, is to show you that this psalm arose out of a situation in which God's people found themselves in great trouble. They were in very great trouble. And that's why I also said in the introduction that the psalm really fits well with what happened during the days of King Hezekiah. Even you children may remember the story of what happened during the days of King Hezekiah. It was during his reign that King Sennacherib The king of Assyria was busy expanding his empire. Sennacherib was a very mighty king with a very mighty army. And as he went to war, he conquered nation after nation after nation. King Sennacherib was even the one whom God raised up to conquer the ten tribes of Israel in the north and scatter them out throughout his huge kingdom. And after defeating many nations, Sennacherib set his eyes on Jerusalem. We read in scripture that he marched into Judah. He destroyed all the fenced cities in the land of Judah, all the defense cities. And all that was left for him to do was to conquer the capital city of Jerusalem. And so King Sennacherib brought his huge army, at least 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, to the edge of the city. And there we read that the Rabshakeh, the general of Sennacherib's army, raged Against Jerusalem. You can read of that history in 2 Kings 18 and 19, as well as in Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. And Rabshakeh spoke against the people of God who were hiding in the city. He roared against them and he said, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, Thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by destroying them utterly. And shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezeth and the children of Eden, which were in Thalassar? Where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arphad and the king of the city of Sepharvaim, of Hiva and Iva? And what do you have in all this history is this. God's people huddled huddled together in Jerusalem and the heathen raging from the outside and all the kingdoms of the earth in upheaval. It was at such a time as that that Psalm 46 was written. And now the point of saying all of that is this. Let's go back to the first stanza. Let's go back to verses 1 through 3 and particularly verses 2 and 3. And we can understand a little bit more what verses 2 and 3 are getting at. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. What we need to understand is that in verses 2 and 3, the psalmist's main focus isn't on natural calamities. That's that's not his focus. But he's talking, he's bringing up language that's, that's being used to describe what could be the most cataclysmic disasters that could be experienced on the face of the earth. Though the earth be removed, that is, though the earth give way and drop out from underneath us like an earthquake. Though the mountains be carried into the sea, the most permanent structures geographically Though they should fall to ruin. And that's a picture. This is poetry. The, the idea really is this. Should everything in the world as we know it fall to ruin. So that the kingdoms and nations of the earth be overturned. And though the revolutions revolutions change the very fabric of society. And, and though even the nations of the world unite themselves. And combine their powers to crush God's people. Yet. Will not we fear? That's verses 2 and 3. Though the greatest realities of the world as we know it, not just geographically, but politically, socially, economically, whatever you want to say, though the greatest realities of the world as we currently know them are completely overturned, right? Though King Sennacherib, with his innumerable hosts of army, of, of soldiers, comes against Jerusalem and besieges it and threatens our very existence. We will not fear. That's what's going on in verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 are capturing what God's people are confessing as they anticipate the battle. They see the enemy gathering strength in the distance. They see the bands of soldiers forming into their positions. They hear the blast of the trumpet. And the footsteps of the enemy as it marches closer, ever closer, ever closer to the city of Jerusalem. Gradually surrounding the city more and more and more. And God's people are saying, we will not fear. Well, beloved people of God, let me ask you. Would you be afraid in that situation? I think we would be afraid. I would be afraid. In Hezekiah's day, that was the temptation too. We read that when Hezekiah heard about the dreadful news about the army of Assyria, he tore his clothes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he said, this is a day of trouble. And then, of course, he went to the Lord in prayer. Well, for us today, at the beginning of another year, warfare, at least for us in our situation, might not seem like such a present concern. But... We might have other concerns, other things that we might be tempted to fear as we anticipate what lies before us in this year. Maybe you look ahead at the circumstances coming to you in life. Maybe the the spiritual battles that you see forming on the horizon, marching your way, and and you're tempted to doubt or become afraid. Maybe we see spiritual battles in the future for the church. That's really the application here. This is the church that is under attack. Maybe we have our own concerns about the well-being of the church or maybe maybe it's much more personal maybe you fear death maybe you're worried about the doctor's visits that will take place this year I actually like reading this passage when someone is about to go into surgery because surgery can be a a time where you become anxious and fearful or maybe there are concerns with work or concerns with finances, concerns with retirement, or, or concerns with raising your children. Maybe you have new doors you're walking through this year. Maybe it's the start of college, or the start of a, a dating relationship, or or married life, or, or raising another child. Right? We might just look at what's lying before us, and, and we might see life is happening, changes are coming, and I don't know if I'm mature enough for all these things. Right? Or we look at the children we say, they're growing up way too fast. What's going on? And the challenges that we face in life might seem to be threatening the very fabric of our life. See, that's exactly the idea of verses 2 and 3. The psalmist is saying, though the greatest realities of the world as we know it, right, even my own little world, as I know it, are completely overturned. And this year is full of change and, and maybe even full of loss. Or at least the fear of loss. We will not fear. And now why won't we fear? Why why won't we fear the future? Why won't we fear what happens in the battle? Well, because as verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Now notice that first of all, how the psalm begins. God. God is. I remember God. Right? That's how we begin the year 2024. God, God is. God is the great reality right here in my life. I, I hear the, the footsteps of the enemy approaching in the distance. Maybe I see their frightful appearance. I've heard of just how mighty or cruel the enemy is, and, and the Assyrian army was known to be barbaric and very cruel. But as I think on these frightening things, the first thing I think of is this, God. God is. God is real, of course. God is in control, and God is with me. Right now, in this situation, I must not forget God. Isn't that often our first mistake? When we are faced with a frightening circumstance. Suddenly, we forget the great reality of God, and and all these truths that we confess are suddenly flying out the window, and we're losing our confidence and our hope, because, because all these comforting truths are departing from us because we've, we've forgotten them, because we forget God and, and Scripture. No, we say God is. And then what do we say? God is our refuge and strength. A refuge. That is a shelter, a hiding place. Right, when there's a tornado in the area, where do people go? Well, they go to their shelter. Oftentimes, that's in the basement. In World War II, when the, Jews were searching for, when the Nazis were searching for the Jews, where would the Jews go? They would hide in the attic, or maybe they would hide between, between walls, or all different kinds of places. That was their refuge. That was their shelter. And when an enemy is attacking, where do the people go? They, they go into the castle, or they go into the strong tower. And beloved, that's exactly who God is for us. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. God's people run into him by faith, and they are safe. By faith, we hide ourselves with his promises. We commit ourselves to his protection. God is my refuge. And God is our strength. And here you have Hebrew parallelism. The word strength is really a reference to a stronghold. God is our refuge and our stronghold. God is our safety and our security against the most formidable foe. And then the psalmist writes, a very present help in trouble. God is not just someone who sympathizes with us, although he he certainly does that. God is not just one who gives gives advice, but God is one who actually helps. He rescues. He's the mighty God. He brings assistance. And he's a very present help. And the idea there, he's a present help, means he's a proven help. This is something that you've seen and experienced in the past. And the idea is also this. He's a help in every circumstance and in every way. Wherever you are, whenever you need help, his abilities match the need. You cannot desire a better help, nor shall you find a better help like his help anywhere else. That's what the psalmist is saying as he anticipates the battle. We have nothing to fear. God is our refuge and strength. And that's what you must say as well, beloved, as you look ahead to this year that lies before us. This is the confession God is putting on our lips through the scriptures. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know it's true. You experienced it in 2023 and in all our days. And if you ever feel unsure about it, then turn your gaze again to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that's where God has shown himself to be a very present help in trouble, a very sufficient help. Because when we look at the cross, we're reminded we were in trouble. We were in bondage to sin in spiritual darkness deserving of extreme that is everlasting punishment of body and soul in hell. And no mere creature could ever have saved us from our misery. And yet what did God do? God did everything. He he did everything. He came in our flesh. He, in our flesh and blood, as our brother, he did everything that needed to be done. He lived a, a perfect life of obedience, fulfilling God's law, fulfilling all righteousness. And he also endured the agonies of hell with perfect love and devotion to God, making a full atonement, a full covering for all our sins. And he helped us. He rescued us. He saved us. He made himself to be our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So as you look ahead to what lies before us in this year, at whatever struggles and battles that may tempt you to fear, this is what your confession must be. God, God is, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, this is not only something that we confess as we anticipate the battle, but as the psalm goes on, this is also something we experience in the heat of the battle. That leads us to the second stanza, verses 4 through 7. In verses 4 through 7, in the second stanza of the psalm, the, the perspective shifts, and we're suddenly brought into the city of Jerusalem. And now within the city of Jerusalem, we get a glimpse of what's happening inside the city. Yes, outside the city, the enemy has set up their camp. Outside the city, the enemy is preparing for an attack. Well, what's now going on inside the city? Verse 4. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Now, I remember when I was younger, that verse seemed confusing to me. But in the way that we're looking at the sermon this morning, I hope this verse is suddenly very easy to understand. The idea is this. Inside the city of Jerusalem is a river. Point being, there's fresh water to drink in the city. You see, when a city was under attack, that was probably the issue of greatest concern. Is there even fresh water in the city to keep the people alive? And now what's interesting is that in Hezekiah's day, this was actually something that Hezekiah worked on. You can read that in the Bible. Maybe you've heard of Hezekiah's tunnel, a very long tunnel that Hezekiah built that rerouted the water springs around Jerusalem so that the water from those springs actually flowed into the city. And there was a river in Jerusalem. It's actually one of the greatest wonders, engineering wonders of the Old Testament. You can even tour Hezekiah's tunnel today. In fact, when I originally preached this at Grace Church, uh, a gentleman came up to me after church and said that, He walked through Hezekiah's tunnel a few years ago. And the idea of verse 4 then is this. There is a river of water flowing through the city. And it breaks off into little rivulets, little streams, so that the whole city is supplied with water. Every neighborhood, every district, every house in the city has fresh water flowing to it. And the point then is this. There is peace. There is safety in the city. Even while the enemy is besieging the city from outside the walls, inside, the people are, are comfortable and even glad. Their hearts are made glad. That's verse 4. Then verse 5. God is in the midst of her. Think of that, right? We're inside the city of Jerusalem. What a comfort for the people to be able to glance over their shoulder and they could see the temple itself, the place where God had chosen to dwell. Right there. God is with his people in the city. And then the latter part of verse 5. God shall help her and that right early. Literally, God shall help her at the dawning of the morning. The idea is, troubles surround us, but God will help us. And he's not going to wait until midday to help us. He won't wait until halfway through the battle to show up. No, but right at the dawning of the day, right when you wake up in the morning and you see the situation and you see your need for God... He's already there. And then the last part of verse 6, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. And that's where you see the power of God as he rises up to help his people. And what does God do? He simply speaks his voice. The enemy is raging. The heathen nations are roaring. They want to destroy God's people. And what does God do? Well, all he needs to do is speak his voice. Because this is the voice of God, beloved. We already sang it. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. And what does God do? He utters his voice, and the earth melts. And now again, if you remember the history of king hezekiah then you remember how that went too don't you hezekiah goes to the lord he spreads himself out before the lord in prayer i think that's the time when he also had the letter he lays it down before the lord and he cries out "O lord god of israel which dwelleth between the cherubims lord bow down thine ear and hear open lord thine eyes and see And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him, the Rabshakeh, to reproach the living God. And what does the Lord do? He utters his voice. Right? He spoke the word. And that same night, he sent his angel, the angel of the Lord. And in that very same night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were slain in their tents. And the next morning, they were all dead corpses. And what did the rapture could do and Sennacherib? They departed and they melted away from Jerusalem. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. And beloved, that's how it is for us today. This is how it is for God's church in 2024. There is a river that flows through the church, the city of God. And what is that river? It's the river of God's grace that flows to us through his son, Jesus Christ. As the Bible says in other places, God is the fountain of living waters. Jesus says in John chapter 7, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Jesus is that fount of living waters. The book of Revelation puts it this way. In the new heavens and new earth, there is a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And there, in the book of Revelation, the river is called the river of life. It's the river of eternal life found in Jesus Christ. It's the river of God's powerful, life-giving grace and life-sustaining grace. And how does that river of God's grace in Jesus Christ flow to us? Well, it flows to us out of the midst of the church, through the preaching, through the sacraments, through the scriptures. And by faith, we partake of the means of grace and we drink of the water of the river of life freely. We experience that in the city of God. And the point is, in the very heat of the battle, in the very heat of your temptation to become fearful or doubt or run away, this is how it is for God's people. Satan and the kingdom of darkness besieges God's people over and over again. But what do God's people find in the church? What what ought they to find? What is the church to be the city of God? They find God in their midst, taking care of his people, taking care of them so that they continue to enjoy the refreshing waters of his grace. That's the idea. And then not only do you have the rivers of water, the river of God's grace flowing through Jesus Christ, but you also have the powerful voice of God as God speaks against the enemies of his people, and he causes them to melt away. And again, where can we see this most clearly? But in the cross of Jesus Christ. What happened there at the cross? Well, at the cross, God uttered his voice. And it was a voice, first of all, speaking a word of judgment. Because God was speaking his word of judgment upon Jesus. And for three hours, there was darkness. Thick darkness. We could say that for those three hours... God uttered his voice and the earth melted. But what else happened at the cross? God uttered his voice and the enemy was destroyed. Remember exactly what Jesus said at the end of those three hours of darkness. It is finished. And that was not just the voice of Jesus, but that was the voice of God announcing the destruction of all his and our enemies. Jesus endured the darkness, he bore the full wrath of God against all our sins and he obtained the victory in the battle, crushing the head of the serpent, obtaining the victory over death and the grave. And then keep looking at the cross of Jesus Christ and you also hear the word of God, the word of salvation that he speaks upon his people. Upon his people he speaks a word of mercy and a word of kindness and a word of blessing Your sins are forgiven. I am your God, and you are my people. That's how it is for God's people, in the midst of the battle. And every Sunday again, through the preaching, this is the word we hear. In the church, we experience this, who God is as our God. We experience him as our refuge and strength, so that as verse 7 says, we can say, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. That's what we experience in the church. This is what we experience in our own personal lives as well. In the heat of the battle, the Lord provides the grace that his people need from day to day. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, that's not only something God's people confess as we anticipate hardships. This is not only something we experience in the heat of the battle, in the midst of the hardships, but this is also something God's people experience and exalt in after the battle is over. That leads us to verses 8 through 11, the third stanza. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. And then as a poetic device, the psalmist writes as if God himself is speaking. In verse 10, God is speaking. And he's speaking, first of all, to the enemies that have risen up against his people. And God says to them, be still. Be still, you enemies. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted among you. I will be exalted in the earth. And then you hear the joyful exclamation of God's people as they repeat their joy. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Well, we will be brief here, but let's notice how verse 8 starts out. Right? Third stanza, another another perspective in the song come behold the works of the lord it's as if the psalmist now is calling others to look outside the city walls with him or even to go outside the city gates and go out onto the battlefield and analyze and inspect what god has just done for his people come he says come don't be passive check it out for yourselves inspect these things that God has done for us. And beloved, can you imagine in Hezekiah's day what the people would have seen? Imagine the next day after the 185,000 Assyrian soldiers had been slain and God's people slowly creep out of the city walls and they start making an inspection of what God did. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers mighty men of battle dead in their tents. Come. Look at it. Take in the sight. An eerie silence fills the air as the people walk from corpse to corpse. The wheels of abandoned chariots creak in the soft wind. Bows and arrows lie everywhere on the ground, swords and spears innumerable. And the soldiers are dead fully clothed perhaps perhaps still in their tents but dead and then you glimpse off glimpse off way into the distance in the horizon and what do you see there? you see Snakrib with his few living servants in utter shock shock and confusion turning around and making the long trip back to Nineveh do you see it congregation? do you see it? do you see the works of the Lord? Do you see the appalling desolations he hath made in the earth? Shift your perspective just a little bit and do you see it? Do you see the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you see the victory Jesus has accomplished? I can't help but when I think of this, I can't help but think of the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, right? A Roman nonetheless. And he sees the earthquake and the rocks being rent asunder and and the veil from the temple Maybe you could hear it being torn from top to bottom, who knows? But the Roman centurion declaring truly, this was the Son of God. He will be exalted among the heathen, he will be exalted in the earth. And how do God's people respond? Well, they say to themselves, God is God alone. God will be exalted among the heathen. He will be exalted in the earth. And then they cry out with joy. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Beloved, that's your reality. In 2024, God has made you his people. He has made himself your God. He has chosen to dwell in your midst. He is your refuge. He is your strength every day of this coming year. He is your present help, very present help in trouble. Exult in it, beloved. Confess it. Experience it. You have nothing to fear. The Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob. What's what's that mean? The God of Jacob, Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of angel armies. He's the Lord of great armies, emphasizing his power. And then he's the God of Jacob, meaning he's the God who is faithful to his promises. He made promises to Jacob. He made promises to Isaac and to Abraham. He, Jacob, even though Jacob wasn't worthy of, of the least of those promises, we all know Jacob, but he's the God of Jacob who is faithful, always faithful. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is something you've experienced. This is something you've confessed. You know these things. God is your God. You know who Jesus is as your Lord and Savior, who has gotten you the victory over all his and your enemies. And you know he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never abandon you. Your God loves you with an everlasting love. He is the everlasting Father. Your God is with you. As his child, this year, you have truly nothing to fear. And so what what is our calling? Our calling, then, is is to live that way. Live fully for God, without fear. Whatever your calling and station, he may give you. When you are struggling with fear, when you are consumed with worry, or you see the enemy approaching, or, or you're struggling in the midst of the battle because you are weary, well, then you, too, in your own way, as a child of God, you too, be still. Be still. And know, perceive, and understand that God is your God. He will bring glory to his own name perfectly, just as he desires. And yet, even as he carries out all his purposes perfectly, he will also show you his covenant faithfulness perfectly. He's the God of Jacob. Remember the victory that is in Jesus Christ. Remember the victory that he will also bring with him, surely on the clouds of glory. And as you keep looking to Jesus, run the race that is set before you until he comes as our king to bring in the full realization of the victory he's purchased for us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, what comfort and joy that we can begin this year with these truths surrounding us on every side. Lord, so let it be that Thy word might truly be what shapes our thoughts and our attitudes and our perspectives, so that we might have that strong courage and that faith that the inspired psalmist had to be able to say, even in the midst of great challenges. And struggles. God is. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Keep our eyes on Thee, Lord, and keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, Thy Son. And may we go forth in His strength. In His.